Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we talk about Tom Ripley and the best horror deaths. We also talk about the meaning of Me Too and do our final fall installment of series survival. It's time for a top three turf war. This is our last episode before Halloween, so you know we had to get some spooky good times going in this podcast. Absolutely. My favorite, like, cult genre. Yes, absolutely. So we are talking about the best horror deaths ever in the history of film. So we both picked three. I don't know what your criteria was, Ivana. I went with a mixed, a mixed bag of deaths. Uh, so I'm not sure what your criteria was. You know what? I I watched a lot of YouTube clips to remind myself of all the different deaths that have existed in film. And, and I just picked my favorite. That was literally my criteria. <laughs> I did this thing where I was like, okay, what's the first movie death that comes to mind from a horror movie? And I was like, boom, okay, that's one, definitely. That's another. Oh, I know and then exactly that's another. what you're going to pick there. You have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> All right, so what's your number three? My number three is, I'm not going to lie, not from the best horror movie you've ever seen. But man, is this a good death scene. It's from Jason Goes to Hell. The Final Friday, it's rated 4.3 out of 10 stars on IMDb, but this is one <laughs> We're of talking my... about amazing deaths, so we can get into that nitty gritty of this, this may not be a great film, but this is a great death. Yeah, it is a great death. It's one of the first sort of big death scenes that I had seen as a child. And I'm sure that that absolutely affects things because I think, I'm so sorry. You might be hearing, I'm just going to interrupt myself. Um, you might be hearing some snoring. My dog is here with me and I can't seem to get her to stop snoring. So if you hear snores, just ignore. Um, all right, let's get back to this movie. Jason Goes to Hell is one of the first horror films I saw as a kid. So I think with as with everyone, the first few that you see really stick with you. But in particular, there's something about this death scene that holds weight even today. Um, it starts with two teens having sex. They are in a tent and um, they go from regular old missionary to girl on top and you've got boobs and you have the two of them really enjoying themselves all while Jason walks up through the wilderness. And and it's just so iconic. I mean, there's literally a point where he steps on a condom and then you cut back to the sex. And then he picks up a sword that just happens to be lying on the grass. And then you go back to the sex. And then Jason's shadow falls over them, all while they're literally both climaxing at the same moment and right after the orgasm. Like, just as you're, like, basking in the afterglow, all of a sudden a sword just goes right through the middle of that girl. Um, blood pours out of her mouth. Her, her stomach starts to seep. The guy is just like, what the fuck is going on? And then Jason just like rips upwards and cuts her in half. So her body like falls over the guy while he's still inside her. I mean, that's a death scene. That's a great death scene. I mean, I kind of want to go and watch that right now. Uh, also, like not a bad way to go, I guess. I mean, for her, <laughs> yeah. awful. But for the guy, it's like, well, I guess I'm never doing that again. Well, how no, he does, dies. How does he, he die immediately after Immediately after, that? after. Like, of course. But, but the good death, like the key death is the girl and getting sliced in half, like right as you orgasm. That's kind of clever. It, it's clever. It's a great death scene. I think it's one of the best. It's the top in my top three. So that did not make my top three. Uh, my number three is actually one that, that has a lot of meaning to the film. And that's why I chose it. That's why I remember it. And it's Father Damien in The Exorcist. 
So if you'll oh. if, if you'll remember, this is uh, the young priest who is trying to cast the demon out of Regan, and Regan rips at her restraints, and you see as the silhouette of the of of Regan and the demon are kind of fighting themselves, and Father Damien's like, "Take me, take me," and the demon jumps into Damien. And for a moment, he has control, so he jumps out of the, the the window of the bedroom and goes down the stairs, dies instantly, but saves the girl. And it, so it holds this monumental weight in that film because it's the ending of the film. Spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't seen Exorcist by now... You it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's because of the weight that it holds. And it's such a redemptive redemptive. Is that a word? Redemptive. Yeah, that's a that's a word. I think such a moment of redemption for uh, Father Damien, who has been suffering with his faith the whole film. Um, you know, it, it, it gave me chills when it happens. Uh, and, and when you see the flash of demon eyes and then out the window one of those iconic deaths that is a very iconic death the death in and of itself but you know what let's be honest i think i'm like one of two people in the world probably that just don't really love that movie i know i know we've we've had that conversation you're like eh, yeah it's and fine. and that death in particular is also like a very like eh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like it's no Jason stabbing coeds, having sex and climaxing and ripping them in half. But it it's a weighty. Death. It's a weighty death. Like yeah, those teenagers fair. do not care. They, they, they mean nothing to the rest of the plot of that movie. But oh, no. Yeah, they don't matter. It's just the death. That's the payoff. Whereas that's right. you're right. His death really matters in the movie. But it ends the film. It's um, the, it's the big moment in the film. Yeah, I I think that was part of it. I remember watching that and I remember thinking it felt so anticlimactic or like the death. I guess it was filmed a long time ago. People were being thrifty with their effects at that time. And I think I had already been exposed to too many of these Jason type deaths that it didn't quite hold the weight for me. And that's fair. So do you have another Jason death as your number two? No, no. My number two is actually a very different death scene. Uh, it's from Let the Right One In. Oh my God, the ending? The ending. It's the pool <gasps> death scene. You start it with this awful bullying sequence where essentially the little boy who you've grown to love throughout this film uh, is forced into a pool uh, where his bullies say, if you can hold your breath for three minutes, we'll just cut you a little. But if you can't, then we're going to poke an eye out. We're going to tear out an eyeball. And, uh, and, and I'm one of those people that whenever something in a movie goes underwater, I, fe- I also feel like I can't breathe. Um, I'm like, Three minutes? What human can hold their breath for three minutes? I, I think it's a Let very Let alone a little thing. boy. Yeah. So immediately I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't breathe. And I'm like holding my breath with him in solidarity. And, and he gets pushed underwater and I'm convinced that he's going to die. And that's when, um, I forget her name right now, Ellie, uh, the girl vampire, comes and saves him and it's this beautiful like the rest of the scene it it starts off with this promise that just gets you on edge as an audience member and then once he's underwater he's so peaceful his eyes are just closed and then when you see the two feet dragged across the water because of course she is using her strength and then nothing and, and then all of a sudden a head just falls into the water and then nothing. And then the arm that's holding the boy up lets go of his head and then falls into the water itself dismembered. And then the blood starts to trickle downwards and the whole thing feels like a symphony. It's just very artistic and beautiful. There is blood, but not much. And, and more than that, I think it's, 
the imagination because you don't see what she's doing to these people as they are dismembered. It's just enough effects and just enough imagination that it creates this feeling of magic. And, and as they're dying, you are so happy because, gosh, they were awful people. I'm so glad that you brought this up because it was on my list for about an hour. And oh, then wow. I remembered something else that was, to me, more iconic, which was The Exorcist. And I was like, but I don't want to move this off my list. But I feel like I have to. I'll put it in honor- honorable mentions or something. But, like, I'm so glad it's on yours. It's such a great, powerful scene. Yeah. And it's and it's a beautiful scene. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really, it's film, it's filmed really well. Like, and... And they took something, the promise of like awfulness and somehow made it calming too at the same time. Your your feelings are really like played with as you watch it. So my number two is from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that was almost on my list and then I took it off. Good. I'm glad it's on yours. But it's not what you think. What? It's actually not what you think because... When people talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street and deaths, they talk about the rotating room death. They do, yeah. Which is when Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed Mm -hmm. and then blood gushes out, which really is just red water, and they flipped the bedroom so that it's all coming out like a gusher. Yeah, Um, yeah, but it looks great on on camera. And it's not actually water. I I read actually a little bit. It was like uh, a bit syrupy. There was some syrup in it. Yeah, there was like some sugar to make it a little thicker. Like it's not just water. Okay, that's good. Because it like, it totally gushes like water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It comes out like like a geyser. Because obviously they have have whatever it is. I think a very powerful hose that sprayed. Yeah. Uh, But no, that, that is not my death scene from A Nightmare on Elm Street. My death scene is when we first are introduced to Freddy Krueger, it's through um, it's through the best friend, Tina. And Tina dies this terrifying, horrific death where she is dragged out of bed after having sex with her boyfriend, dragged out of bed onto the wall, and then she's cut up on the ceiling. And... You you watch as the boyfriend is watching in horror as her his his girlfriend is getting chopped up on the ceiling but can't see anything. But then they flash back to what is actually happening and that Freddy is like there. And it is I to me it's the scariest moment in a nightmare on Elm Street. And then at the end they just like she just falls to the bed dead. And it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's this incredible, like, terrifying what-if moment. Um, And immediately the boyfriend ends up in prison because he was the only one there. So, obviously, he's the butcher. But it's such a great special effect uh, with her, like, getting cut up from the ceiling and and being dragged around the room. And I I love that death. It's funny because... The geyser scene was in my uh, on my list for a bit, but that scene was also in my honorable mentions and still is. And it's partly because that's the scene I remember. Like, the rotating room is really cool, and I rewatched both scenes, and the rotating room got it for me because I thought it was really inventive special effects, and that's why it kind of beat out this one. But whenever I think about Nightmare on Elm Street, it's her death that I actually think about. And her death, I think, is a scarier death. And I do think it's kind of interesting how much he really liked to play with the ceilings in yes. this like film. And it worked. It made ceilings really scary. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what is your number one? My number one death from a horror movie is the... It's from the movie Alien. Okay. And it is the scene where they're all having dinner and they're 
eating and everyone's kind of relaxed and you see this like fanfare and then all of a sudden that one guy he starts to almost look is he choking there's something wrong what's wrong next thing you know he's splayed out on that table everyone around has has gathered around him there's pandemonium panic all throughout the room and we watch as out from his chest explodes the alien Everyone's freaking out. The alien just, like, you get the perfect special effects, the creature, the details. Somehow the fact that it was, like, still yellowy in its coloring made it worse. It was worse than if it was black. And then, of course, it, like, runs off kind of in a cheesy way. I I, I think if they had cut that, it would have been a little bit better. But, like, the scene itself is so iconic. It's been parodied so much. Um... And it was just, I think it's a really great death scene. I think it's a really great death scene too. Uh, good call. Um, it's my number one as well. It is? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> my number one is also the chest burster from Alien. Uh, John Hurt is the, I believe, the actor who gets the ba and, and the cast didn't know, they knew something was going to happen. They didn't know what. Oh, really? The whole thing was like a surprise. Wow. I need to watch that again, knowing now that the cast didn't know what was coming. They were like, yeah, he's going to he's going to die. And they were like, oh, OK. But they didn't realize like how he was going to die and that this thing was going to burst out of its chest. Wow. Yeah. All right. So we got number one is alien. Guaranteed. Obviously. Number one is alien. That's done. Uh, um, number two. I kind of want to put the let the right one in. All right, and the number three, uh, a nightmare on Elm Street. I think so. I that because let the right one in is just such a beautiful death. I thought about it before. It's on your list. It just makes sense. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's. I think that is a great list. All right, let's kick it off. A nightmare on Elm Street, the death on the ceiling. Number two, the pool death from Let the Right One In. And the number one best horror death scene of all time, Alien Chest Burst from Alien. Damn fine list of deaths. <laughs> what else What else made your honorable mentions? We talked a little bit about mine, which was the nightmare on Elm Streets, but what about you? Well, I got to... I got to say, um, Drew Barrymore's death and scream for whatever reason still holds up to me. Really? I don't know why. I think it's because when she gets killed or when she gets stabbed, I should say not, she's not dead yet. She's crawling to the front, uh, door where she sees her parents go inside. Right. Like she's so close. She that is one of the th the things about that movie and and they really reinvigorated the start with a death scene thing like they made it they really elevated that scene they gave her a proper cameo it wasn't just a quick scare they really brought you to the brink and made it almost like its own little short film and it's kind of like a little homage to Psycho which is another one on my list um you know because they killed off the biggest actor in their movie in the first half hour, 40 minutes and screamed did the same thing in the first 15. Yeah. Actually, I never really thought about that. That's really interesting. I guess I didn't know who was a big actor or not in Psycho. Did the Psycho shower scene make your honorable mentions? Sure did. Absolutely. I mean, that was... Uh, it's interesting because it was, it was black chocolate syrup which was like what they used as the blood in that scene it looked like blood like it yeah, really did because it's black and white you don't know yeah you don't know and there's not a lot of gratuity in it it's just frightening as all hell so it didn't make my list i i appreciate what it did for the genre and that it was the first of its kind but looking at it now I can't give it a, that death scene sequence because um, I rewatched it and there were certain aspects that have always jarred me and I didn't really know why until now. And it was partly the angles. Um, 
The shower feels small in moments and large in other moments so that you get the shadow and that kind of thing. And something about the actual filmmaking in it, for me, didn't quite hold up. Although I do appreciate and loved, for me, that one moment where you see the blood on her feet. Yeah. That, that was beautiful. What else you got? Um, Final Destination in general. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't pick one. It just, they had, there are so many, all the movies, like not just from one, but to the next. I like Sean William Scott's death in the first Final Destination when they are crossing the tracks. They've just missed getting killed by a train and debris from the car gets snagged shot up and like chops off half of Sh- uh, Sean William Scott's face. And I'm like, man, that's a badass scene. And it, you don't know when it's coming. And and I, I loved I loved watching it. There was one I remember with like electricity in a bathroom and so many near like near death, like near misses where like the human lives, lives, lives. And then finally like... This thing knocks over that thing. It's kind of like Mousetrap, the game. Do you remember that game yeah, in like the 90s? That game. Um, it's like you're playing Mousetrap, but to kill someone. And I really like that in general about Final Destination. What else do you have? Michael Myers. I know you don't like the first Halloween, but you know, when he when he's wearing the ghost costume and it's freaking her out, I like that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that. There's no end to the amount of awesome, cool movies. And and the Friday the 13th and Halloween's and these movies have really like brought out the next level death. So. So power to them. It's break time and I have an announcement. Oh, I'm excited. what's, What's the announcement? My cousin had a baby today. Oh my gosh. A boy or girl? A girl. I, there's no name yet, apparently. Oh. So that I think we're going to wait for. But it's very exciting and everybody's happy and healthy. So yay. Oh, fantastic. That's great. And this is a, 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 a Canada baby or a... A Serbia baby. A Serbia baby. Oh, mm-hmm. so there might have to be a family trip to Serbia. See the little in. Absolutely. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be good. When was the last time you visited Serbia? March. Oh, this is just like a thing for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not every year, but yes, it happened to be not that long ago. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, I today did a volunteer shift at Habitat for Humanity and got in touch with like the construction worker in me with the hard hat and safety boots and gotta say, I put some beams up. That are going to be in someone's home forever. That's so cool. Where did you do this? Uh, we did it in Scarborough, Ontario. Nice. Um, in a, I don't know, like just a little cul-de-sac really. But it's, they're, they're sort of like townhouse condo buildings sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I worked on the, the, like the roof of this building for a good while. It was definitely different. Being in a house with nothing attached to it. Nothing attached. So, like, how much gets done in a day, for example? Well, we we did four load-bearing beams today. And he said that we we really hustled with it. So, I guess that was a good day. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really hard work because you got to build the beam. Then you got to set the beam, and trust me, they were not easy to set. Wait, how do you build a beam? Isn't it just pre-cut for you? So it's a giant piece of wood that's cut, and then you, like, get a second piece, put it on top, you nail them together, and then you run them up, uh, like, some stairs all the way to the top. So you have to carry that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Wow. And then... Uh, so I, I carried it and then I brought it up and then we had to put it in this, like this one specific area. It had to be flush and then we had to like nail it in, make sure it was all good. And, uh, I gotta say, Ivana, you would have been, um, 
he would have been impressed. I I think I I did some macho guy stuff today. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you think that. I mean, I'm impressed because you went and built a home for Habitat for Humanity. I I will say this. I'm don't think that the macho guy stuff is as impressive as guys think it is. <laughs> Whatever. I was like a cool construction worker and I had a uniform <laughs> and everything. So back off, ladies. <laughs> In my day, we just called them their interwebs, the paper. So you're getting this on Monday, but we're recording it last week, and our social media feeds have blown up with two very powerful words, and those words are me too. Now, this whole thing started with a a tweet from Alyssa Milano suggesting that if you have been sexually harassed or you have been assaulted, put me too on your social media feed so that the world can see this is a this is a big deal a big problem mm-hmm. and it was it was overwhelming for me to see how many people um in my life have been affected in some negative way Ivana, like I didn't, I don't think I saw a me too from you, but there's so many me too's in my life right now. And I, I, it just, it makes me feel bad and sad and guilty and just really want to do better. Yeah. So, and, and you wrote an article, which I shared so far on Twitter. I, I think it's a great article. It's in our show notes. So you guys should absolutely go down, click that link and read that article. Um, I thought it was a really amazing article. It made me really just happy and proud to be your friend. Um, it's interesting and and I might as well talk about it here. Um, I, I haven't I've been I haven't been very much on social media all week. Um, and I, so until you actually shared that article with me, I didn't really even, I had seen Me Too, but I had no idea where it came from. I knew what it was regarding, but I didn't know what the call to action was in particular. Um, I don't think maybe I know anyone who hasn't experienced it. I know I have. And actually ha- reading, I, I was reading an article about an incident with Harvey Weinstein um, that was identical to an incident that I had experienced during university. And it's funny how, uh, being a female, when these things happen to you, there's so much guilt and there's so much like self, uh, like blame that happens that you, you're like, your reaction is to blame yourself, to explain things away, to be like, no, I I can't complain that this horrible thing happened to me because it's not as bad as this other horrible thing that happened to, uh, and, and the sad thing is very close girlfriends that I, I have in my life. And so it, it was really kind of freeing in some ways to hear everybody's stories because, um, when you find yourself in those situations where you say no, but maybe you don't fight like as if you're in a horror film and you're fighting for your life, the, the easy way or not the easy way, but the reality is you sit there and you blame yourself. Oh, I should have done that. So this is my fault now. And I'm just going to have to live with this like pain. Um, and, and I think it's really great that suddenly you're, people are sharing these things that are normally private. I felt and feel conflicted about whether or not to even put in the words me too. I don't know why. Like, is it that, isn't that the stupidest thing when you think about it that I feel like, oh no, I can't write that. But why can't I write that? Why can't you write that? If you experience something and you want to say me too, you should just say me too. Uh, You don't have to go into great detail. You can just... Put those words down so that everybody knows, 
oh man, like this is somebody in my life. This is someone I love. And she's been, it, it affected her as well. Like yeah. as a guy, I just want us to realize that we got to be better. And tomorrow, like be more conscious of your actions. Be more conscious of what the, like it's good that we're having a conversation. So mm-hmm. have the conversation. I had a couple of conversations with uh, with some friends and, you know, their stories were shocking. And I I was like blown away because, you know, some some people will be like, yeah, you know, boys will be boys or whatever. It, it, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't think that we live in a world where you can just be like, boys will be boys. That's like saying... Oh, you know, slave owners will be slave owners. Like, that's not an excuse. <laughs> like, Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. It's unbelievable how in denial some people are about this and that they don't want to change because, well, nobody's ever complained or whatever. Uh, you know, like if you are a guy who when they go to a bar – cat calls or you know insists on buying drinks to people who don't want you to like you gotta just respect respect these people respect that they are other people leave them alone don't make people feel harassed yeah i agree but i also want to say and this is a strange thing to say but i think that we also shouldn't shame an attempt to connect that is true. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you're in a situation, like, I wonder, as a guy, do you sit there and then worry, oh, no, I saw this girl at a bar, and I hit on her, and now I feel like, should I even be able to hit on her? I think you can, as long as it's respectful. I think flirting is is different than... Being creepy on a bus. Agreed. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the difference is that I think it's, there's a clear differentiator between harassment or assault and um, someone who is attempting to connect with another human, whether it's successful or not. And if it's not successful, then you should respect that and move on with your life. Right. If you're being a jerk, then that's not cool. Like... If you're whistling at a girl in the street or, hey, beautiful or whatever, and this is a person who is just walking down the street and you're, like, making her feel uncomfortable, that's not cool. I think if you're at a bar and you're talking to somebody, it's a little bit different. Um, If you're in school and you strike up a conversation and it's natural and it's not, like, creepy – Mm-hmm. I mean, I keep coming back to creepy because most of the women that I've talked to about this are experiencing, you know, leering or guys following them when they're walking home. Oh, God, that is the worst when you're just like trying to put your head down and like walk fast. You're like, when do I start running? I mean, that is that's not awesome. And we were talking about it at movie club. I know you weren't there, but we were at movie club and we had a conversation about it. And a couple of the guys in my group who were walk, would walk behind a girl now to make her feel like they're not following her cross the street. Because there's nothing more terrifying, I, I, I assume, then you think someone is following you. Yeah. After you got off the bus or whatever like that. Like, I always leave a big buffer between anybody. I think that's the thing. It's all about buffer. Um, and and also time of day, you know, like. If it's nighttime, don't be like creepy walking behind, you know, like let some distance be there. Go exactly. Across the street. Or or if if you're you happen to be walking behind a female and you notice she's speeding up, let her like don't also speed up cuz that's yes. the that's the scary part. It's cuz 
as a female, I, I know I, I get into those situations. You're kind of on an empty street. There's a guy behind you. You hear the footsteps. And, and it's in your head, you have this like, okay, just look behind you in a way that is somewhat casual because this person could just be walking. And, um, and you kind of assess the situation for safety. And if you decide, okay, I need to speed up and the other person also speeds up, then it becomes terrifying. If they right. then allow the difference in like you to become farther away, then it's like, okay, good. This was just right. me being cautious. <laughs> like, Or if you're on public transportation and there's a lot of people there, maybe like don't be the guy who's rubbing up against the girl. Right. Which happens uh, all too frequently. Um, And if it is happening, it has happened to me where I have been pushed into a girl face first, both of our faces, you know, be like, I, I like, I'm sorry. There's Just, a clear difference. There, There is a very big difference when you're in a packed subway and you're like bumping up against people and both of you are like, sorry, I am I really don't want to be doing this to you right now. And when some guy sticks his boner into your ass and then you move and then he moves and until you get to the point where you're almost about to scream at him. Exactly. I, exactly. So... You know, more of these stories are coming out. Um, the Harvey Weinstein thing is we're, we're hearing a lot from popular, popular stars and actresses. And I got to wonder how many not popular actresses did he prey on? I'm grateful to those who have said me too on social media because it is a a throwing down of a gauntlet mm -hmm. to make tomorrow better than today. And yeah. challenge accepted. Let's do it. Take two. So last week we talked about the book, The Disaster Artist. And this book talked a lot about this movie called The Talented Mr. Ripley. And I remember the movie very fondly, but didn't remember a lot about it. Jay, however, you didn't like the movie. I didn't like the movie when I saw it the first time, so we had to bring it up in a take two. So let's get into the talented Mr. Ripley. We start by meeting Tom Ripley, Matt Damon, playing a piano at a posh event while a lovely lady sings. He impresses the pants off of this rich man, Mr. Greenleaf, and his wife with his culture and his Princeton jacket. And he impresses the audience when we realize he's pretending to date the girl and borrowed the jacket from her real boyfriend just to impress the Greenleaf. Right. He started from the bottom and now he's here. Here being Europe, where Mr. Greenleaf sends him to convince his son Dickie, played by Jude Law, to return back to America. And this is easier said than done, considering he neither went to Princeton nor knew Dickie, it's a good thing he's a talented fella. It actually really is a marvel to see the ways that he manipulates the situation to befriend uh, Dickie and sort of like ingratiate him into his life. Um, he befriends Dickie's fiance, then Dickie. He learns about jazz music, the finer things in life, and eventually every angle of Jude Law's lovely face. Before we know it, these two men find themselves in a passionate homoerotic friendship. It is definitely homoerotic, but it is also sort of one-sided. Sort of. It is like a bromance, I would say. Until Dickie grows tired of Tom and then tries to sort of break up with him. He calls him creepy. Like many, many times. <laughs> And, and this sort of leads Tom down a dangerous path because he breaks down, smacks Dickie in the face with an oar, and the movie sort of takes off from there. With Dickie now dead, to cover his tracks, Tom pretends to be both Dickie and Tom to show the world that both are alive and well, giving a paper trail back to Tom at a hotel and Dickie a crazy lifestyle in Rome. 
But Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in sniffing around for his friend Dickie, and instead he finds Tom, and he accuses him that something isn't right, clearly, clearly indicating maybe Dickie's dead. So he's got to go. Head busted in with a statue bust of a Socrates, uh, or some philosopher that looks like Socrates, but like the bust on his busted head. <laughs> and that's when things really heat up. The police come to question Dickie, who's actually Tom pretending to be Dickie. It's kind of hard not to get confused by what we're saying, actually. But you know who's not confused? Gwyneth Paltrow. She figures out that somehow, some way, Tom killed Dickie. But Tom is so in his brain right now, he denies and then kind of confesses, I love you, Marge. That's Gwyneth's character. But she's too clever for this shit, and she leaves with her suspicions. I mean, she shares them, but no one believes her, and Tom totally gets away with it. Yep, no death for Gwyneth. However, there's a friend of Gwyneth's named Peter who's gay, and he and Tom start a heavy and passionate thing. But that doesn't really end well either. No, because in the end, Tom chooses to play Dickie over being happy in this new homosexual life with Peter. So Tom kills Peter by strangulation. It's like, you know, a lighthearted movie. <laughs> That's right. Um, so this is the take two. This is my I didn't like the first time I watched this movie. Not the case this time. I very much enjoyed this film. Yeah, I, I I, like it even more. Like, it's so good. Matt Damon is astounding. Like, there's the scene where he is in the boat with Jude Law's character. And Jude Law is saying, I'm, I'm done with you. Like, you're creepy. You weird me out. He gets so riled up. But then you can see he's weak. He's like, he's scared of Dickie. And... He's like weak-willed and even while he's actually ends up killing Dickie, he's like, stop, stop, stop. Like he's so not in his right mind. His feelings for Dickie were unparalleled to me. Like um, the way that he looked at him, the way that he stared at him. There was that one scene where he in his like reflection while they're on a train is like, this is what it would look like if we were to kiss each other. <laughs> do you remember that? Oh part? yeah. That scene is like super weird. And then Jude Law is like, why do you always do that thing with your neck? And it's like, cause he's trying to kiss you, dude. Yeah. And, and what I liked about that scene too, other is just that Jude Law sees it. Jude Law sees all the creepiness. He just kind of doesn't care in the beginning because Dickie or Tom is fun and and it's exciting to just have a new friend to play with. But then he very quickly tires of him um, and is ready to move on in his life. Totally. And uh, Tom is not okay with that. He is not okay with being disregarded. He he loves he loves Dickie. He is like in love with him. There's a scene where they're playing chess and there's a bathtub and Jude Law is like naked in the bathtub. That was like like a homoerotic overload. Like how do you get yourself into that situation without knowing that someone in this scenario likes the other dude? Well, and then immediately Matt Damon is like, I'm cold. Can I, can I come in? And Jude Law is like, No. Yeah. It's like, I didn't mean with you in it. And then he stands up naked in front of him and like moves him and his perfect ass over to the wall. And Matt Damon's like just looking in the reflection, just like staring. Oh, I mean, when he got up, I mean, like Matt Damon's face in that moment was so great. It was this shock and excitement and horror you know do you think that it was partly that jude law's character enjoyed that he had a man who had a crush on him 100 percent. i i totally think that that was the case uh not to mention and we should say i wonder how this plays with the gay community because um 
Tom Ripley is neither like gay or straight. He goes after a girl named Meredith as Dickie. He goes after Peter as Tom. So it's kind of a very fluid sexuality kind of film. It's interesting because I disagree with that completely. Um, I think it's pretty clear that he's a, a gay man. It's the 1950s. Um, it, it is not a time in the world where it is very easy to just be gay and openly gay. So I, I get this feeling like he is a gay man who is living in the 50s, who has not come to terms with or admitted to himself that he is actually gay and therefore goes after women as well, but not because he likes them. Like his scenes with Meredith, there is zero spark. There's zero interest. There's zero sexual anything. Like when he's where they're on, I think it was on the carriage ride where he's like, well, if it wasn't for this situation with Marge, I would be all over you. But he, there's no passion in his voice. He's like standing away from her. He's not really looking at her. He wouldn't ever be all over her. He finds her charming and beautiful and like a good match in the world. But at the end of the film, he gives her a long, deep kiss. And it's the only kiss we see from Tom Ripley in the whole film, unless you count him like sort of kissing Jude Law's arm uh, at one point in the film, which I definitely do not because Jude <laughs> Law was asleep and he's basically kissing his coat. Um, but yeah, like for me, I I think it's it's possible that because he's playing Dickie, he's got to be straight for Dickie. And then when he's Tom, he can be gay. I I don't think that, like I think in the 1950s, the self... It would take such strength to be honest with yourself about the fact that you are gay. And and to me, it's denial. It's, I can't be gay. I, I have to be straight. It's not right to be gay. Um, of course, it is perfectly fine and great to be gay. But in the 50s, it was, I'm sure, a more complicated thing. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So my question is, do we need to jump on a flight to Italy? Uh, yes. I mean, this is a beautiful movie. It's, it's like, I want to go on vacation. <laughs> I, I've been to Italy. Well, Rome. I've only been, well, I've been to Milan and Rome, but uh, I, the Rome sites in this movie, I was like, I was there. Like, it was so exciting. It was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And being on the, on the sea and... Uh, you know, being on the little scooter going around, I just was like, man, I kind of want to go now. Oh, so much. Nothing like Italy in the summer. Always in the summer. You got to go when it's hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so what are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to be watching uh, an Australian film that is taking the world by storm. It's on a whole bunch of best of 2017 lists. It's horror because we didn't watch a horror movie this time. Um, and it's called Hounds of Love. That's right. And if you watch it, it can kind of be like one of your Halloween watches before the next podcast airs. Uh, the I guess it's November 6th is when that's coming out. And we've chosen our next book for our bookworm segment. It is Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way by none other than Bruce Campbell. And we will be doing this book uh, December 11th. So you got like six weeks, maybe even longer, to get this going. So December 11th, we are going to be talking about the book Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way by Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Nobody's gonna know why you're giggling. Cause you said make love the Bruce Campbell way by Bruce Campbell. It's funny. Series survival. Dun, dun, dun. This is the last installment of series survival predictions. Um, for the fall television season, we've had a lot of new television, so we got to do this for quite a while. In the spring, we really we, lucked out this year. We did, 
And, and in the spring, we will get to know all of our updates. So once we know the fate of three of these shows, it'll, we'll be back to give you an update. And once we've assembled all of them, we will declare a winner of the fall series survival games. Yes, which will be me, Victorious! I don't think so. You didn't win last season, and I don't think you're going to win this season. I think there's a statute of limitations, statute of limitations. Well, we'll find out. On I guess how the reality long is before you tell me to do something and it doesn't happen, and then I'm like, until the predictions come in, I am the reigning winner. Like it doesn't matter until we know I win- I'm the winner. Like I still have this crown until it is lifted off of my head. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the shows. Uh, the show, the first show we're going to talk about, um, and by the way, watch the trailers. They're linked in our show notes. Is called Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television, and it's brought to you by YouTube Red. So, as a as a Canadian, I don't get YouTube Red. I have Google Play Music, but I don't get Google, YouTube Red because it's only available to people in the states. I would love. To subscribe to YouTube Red because it means that you don't get ads on YouTube. Amazing. Um, I, I can't believe th- I thought that Canadians got it. And this also pisses me off because I realize that an expat of Canada, our, our YouTube account that Blake and I share, our Google Music account, uh, is Canadian. So we're, even though we're here, we're not even getting YouTube Red. That's right. So what we're going to have to do is find another way to watch Ryan Hansen solves crimes on television. And I got to say, I'm going to watch the shit out of this series. It looks unreal. And and this is actually actor Ryan Hansen. That's his name. And Ryan Hansen, if you're you're like, oh, who is that again? It was Dick from Veronica Mars. Right, and he's also been in like a plethora of um, television series that never make it past season one. And I think one of my favorite jokes from just the trailer alone was them being like, oh, you know, Brian Hansen, the guy from Pilots that never made it to air. Like, That's right, exactly. And so I have a feeling, because he is really good, that he has probably actually in his career done a bazillion Pilots. He definitely does. I think he has a lot of ideas. I think he's probably one of these idea men. Um, but he's worked with some greats, and it looks like they're all going to show up in this series. But the big question is, Ivana, is this going to season two? Guarantee. Like, it's guaranteed it's going to season two. One, um, I think this is the first original series, at least it's the first one I've heard of from YouTube Red. And... When you start, you're going to start big and you're going to support your first show. Uh, More importantly, though, uh, on IMDb, it already has a rating of 8 out of 10. And that trailer looked unreal. Like, it's so funny. This show is so meta that I actually don't really understand what the concept is. Well, actually, that's not true. I'm pretty sure it's a scripted series pretending to be a reality television series that is following like scripted actors as they try to solve real crimes, but as a scripted series being a reality television series. You see what I mean? Like there's a loop going on in here. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely a meta show. Definitely inside jokes. Definitely going to be one of those things that like, if you like TV, if you like movies, you're probably going to get a lot of the inside stuff. Some fourth wall breaks, I'm sure as well. I'm really looking forward to it. I also think it's going to be renewed. Um, for the same reason, it's a YouTube Red original series and they don't have too many of them. And I think that that is the reason because otherwise I haven't heard any promotion about this show. I found it on a list of like what's happened of shows that are, you know, coming up. And I thought, oh, that's a fun title. We should do this. Totally. So I'm, I'm going to watch it. I'm I think it's going to be renewed. You think it's guaranteed to be renewed. 
So we'll have to keep an eye on this one closely. Number two is a new CBS drama series called SWAT. We shouldn't even include drama in this series. It's basically filmed like a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, and didn't they say that the like it came from the Fast and Furious people? It sure did. The director of Fast and the Furious did this this show. Let me tell you guys, I'm excited for this guilty pleasure ridiculous show. I how is it not a drama though? Like it looks like a drama, it feels like a drama. I don't understand. It looks like an action movie is what it looks like. Well, yeah, there's going to be action in it. But aren't action movies also dramas? Are action movies dramas? I mean, aren't they usually kind of dramatic? Like Die Hard is a drama, isn't it? I don't think I've had anybody in my life say, Die Hard, that's a drama. Like, I don't think that's ever come up in my entire life. Um, but that's an interesting point because, yeah, sure, action movies can have dramatic moments. Well, I guess Ta- I've always thought of them as – because there's you're either an action comedy or you're an action drama. Like, action is just, like, the stuff that happens in it, but it's either a comedy or a drama, and it has to pick. So, like, new Spider-Man movie. Mm, that's superhero. drama? So that's its own thing, but definitely drama. Okay. I don't All consider right. superhero action movies. Is that weird? Is that, like... Well, what do you consider them? Just superhero movies? Yeah, just superhero movies. Because they're on such a big scale, and the action in them usually is somewhat unrealistic. Like, Spider-Man's a really good example of something that's totally unrealistic, Dark Knight, though, can count as a drama action. But I'd say that's even more drama than action. See, and I'd agree with you on The Dark Knight. That is uh, that is like a dramatic crime film. Yeah. And dramatic cl- crime films are like dramas. And a- actions just feel like like the window dressing of whether or not something is a, a drama or an action. I guess I kind of, if I had to pick like giant buckets to put movies into, it would be drama Comedy, horror, superhero. So where does like sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that all fall in? Dramas. Lord of the Rings is a drama. But you're right. They are kind of their own subset. A lot of things are dramas, I guess. My theory is unraveling as I speak it out loud. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because SWAT is an action drama series. From CBS about a SWAT team who, when the leader of the SWAT team accidentally shoots a 17-year-old black boy, he is kicked off the squad and replaced with a new commanding officer who is who is black. And it's Shamar. Oh, yeah. He's Criminal huge. Minds he's guy. Like, I can't he has remember. the biggest fan base of any television guy ever. And because of that, it will be renewed. Oh, this is definitely going to be renewed. I I can see how people will want to watch this series. I have little interest in watching this, but I I can see how if I was a producer, I would greenlight the show in a second. Just the the guilty pleasure. The cast alone is fantastic. And it's the guy from Better Off Ted. Did you watch that show? Because it's amazing. Great show. Love Better Off Ted. The last show of our final fall predictions is a new USA drama. It's a Western and it is called Damnation. I am uh, not keen to see this show. I think it looks pretty meh. And I think it'll be canceled. So, damn it. I was going to say that too. So, again... We have all the same predictions. Are you going to watch this show? No, it looks awful. During the the trailer alone, I thought, oh, great. A cast of all men um, and a show that's set back when slavery existed. And I, I, I'm not interested in this. Like, it, I don't feel like anything about that show is teaching us lessons about how to be better in the future. 
I think it's like the USA Network's answer to Westworld brought to you by some producers from um, the what the king the king what's the king show king show the one that everyone loves blood wedding that whole thing Game of Thrones that's it the king show really <laughs> it's the number one TV show like. In the world. In the world. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It just escaped my brain for a split second. Guys, I lost to this woman last time. I'm really good at predictions. I'm just not really good at remembering names of TV shows. Well, we're going to find out because that is our final prediction. We have said this week that Ryan Hansen solves crimes on TV will be renewed, SWAT renewed, and damnation canceled. So we'll keep an eye on what's going on, and we will fill you in on our predictions later on in the spring when we bring our uh, our updates back, which I'm really excited to, for because, as you ladies and gentlemen know, I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and that's our show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we would really appreciate it. All you got to do is hop onto iTunes or whatever podcast service you're using and just give us a quick rating and review. Please, please, please. BenSam.com is our intro song source and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Jay and I love to hear from you, so please reach out to us. You can reach us at morethanmovies.net. On Facebook at More Than Movies Podcast. You can email us hello at morethanmovies.net. Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Ivana. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again in two Mondays from now with an all new episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. Watch more.